You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls down. You already know. Anybody here that needs to know when we're coming back, then you shouldn't go. There's brands, not bands. And that's basically why I stopped being an artist. I just hurt too much to be one. And I do know how to be a rock star. She's operating on a whole other frequency. You know, I had no idea she owned Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine in Brooklyn, New York. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And I'm so excited because our guest today is a chart-topping, hit-making, songwriting legend. Linda Perry first made waves in music as the lead singer and songwriter of Four Non Blondes, a band that hit big in 1992 with their platinum-selling song, What's Up? But today, she is best known for writing and producing hit songs for the biggest names in pop music. She wrote Beautiful for Christina Aguilera, What You Waiting For for Gwen Stefani, Get the Party Started for Pink, and so many more bangers, it's impossible to count. Linda was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2015, and most recently, she's been writing the scores to accompany two documentaries by and about her famous friends. Kid 90 is the new coming-of-age documentary by Soleil Moon Fry, and Citizen Penn follows the humanitarian aid efforts of Sean Penn in Haiti. For the Kid 90 soundtrack, Linda released her own music for the first time in over 15 years, recording the song and new video for The Letter based on a letter that teenage Soleil Moon Fry wrote to her older self. I can't wait to talk about all of these latest projects and so much more. Welcome, Linda Perry, to the show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. It is my understanding that your musical path was forged in the fire of a very difficult childhood. Can you tell us a bit about your early life and how it led to your career in music? Um, I mean, I don't. Honestly, I don't put the two together, so I, I don't feel like my childhood forged my music career. It was it was going to happen no matter what. Um, and um, I had difficult times like so many people. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity to be able to use this, um, these struggles, these pains, these emotions towards something that was given to me, you know, when I was born. And I was, you know... I had music and um, a lot of people have different outlets, you know, to express. Um, I was gifted with the, you know, with music to express. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that my path was my path, whether I was living a high life or a low one, you know, I, I, I was definitely destined to, to be a musician and write music and, to be a mentor in some sort, you know, trying to help kids and um, and being able to, uh, you know, be honest and show, uh, you know, be able to speak in a way where a lot of people can relate because I'm not coming from, I mean, I've worked very hard to get to where I am. Um, there has not been an easy 
route ever. I've, there's never been a shortcut like, oh, like you know, I see happen all over the world right now with artists. It just seems like, you know, it's like, what? How did that happen? You know, so there's all these incredible shortcuts that I wish life would just strike down on me an easy day. I, I mean, if I could have one easy day, I would really appreciate that. But, you know, no matter how famous you are, work is work, you know, and if you are committed, you don't have to be big or small. It's just committing to your art is a lot of work, no matter right. who you are. And you were in your 20s uh, when you first got your big hit with What's Up. Is that correct? When, in 1993? What's Up broke, I believe, in 92. And okay. Yeah, I was, you know, yeah, 25. 25 years, I'm a lot still. Trying to get up that great big healer of hope For a destination I realized quickly when I knew I should That the world was made up of this brotherhood of man For whatever that means I was um, a senior in high school when that song came out, it was being played absolutely everywhere. And I loved it so much. I was obsessed with how powerful and raw your voice sounded. And I remember just singing along at the top of my lungs. What's going on in Trying to like catch some of that power that I was hearing from you. Um, I When I was reading about how that song came to be, I saw that the version that we all know and love, that we're still singing at karaoke to this day, it almost didn't make it onto your album, Bigger, Better, Faster, More, because the producer for that album was trying to force you to record it in a much less impactful way. Can you tell our listeners a bit of the story about how you fought to get the song, which eventually went multi-platinum and put you on the map, how to get your version of the song out into the world? Well, there wasn't um, my version quite at the time. You know, all I knew was the version that the producer did was not the song that I wrote. And, you know, and I think as an artist and, you know, creator to a lot of people who are listening, you know, this is part of our job. You know, it's like we have to fight. And if you don't feel good about something, you have to fight for it. You have to stand up for it because your art is what you leave behind. And um, I just knew early on that I never wanted to leave something crappy behind. That's it. I just didn't, I wanted everything to, you know, I wanted to be able to stand by everything that I, I, I do. And I do um, stand by everything that I've done. And, but the song was so bad. <laughs> It was laughable. You know, it had solos, it had marching drums. He had me change the lyrics. It was just a bad version. It's like, talk about someone missing the mark on a song. And, um, you know, and that can happen. You know, producers can make songs great and they also can ruin a song. And again, as an artist, it is your job to fight for your your babies. These are your songs that you're, you're supposed, you'll know if something is right or not. So... I went back to the label and I just said, this is terrible. I'm, I can't release this. And they like, well, then fix it, you know, or, you know, it sounds great to us. 
So I did. I was like, okay, I will fix it. And so I took the band into the studio. You know, the band agreed that, you know, was not great. I, or at least I feel they, they agreed. Um, and then I didn't really know anything about production, but there was a great engineer at the studio. And with him, I just dialed in sounds and moved microphones and got the take that felt really good. And then, um, you know, saying it three times, comped. And then the producer showed up like, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, we mm-hmm. tomorrow's mastering. We got to get this mixed and done to, to make mastering. And I was so perturbed that he was there. It's just like, what the hell are you doing here? You know, so we he came in, we finished the song, got it mixed and it made mastering the next day. So that version that I reproduced is the version that everybody globally has heard and, um, you know, when it came down to after, I was like, you know, I produce this, I want production, the label, including my manager at the time. So like, you know, can't you be happy with, mm. you know, that you saved the song? We can't change it now. Mm. Rude. Deal is deal. You know, the mm. deal is done. You saved the song. Yippee. Hooray. <laughs> celebrate. <laughs> And I'm finding that, but the truth is after that, that's never happened ever again. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You have to have, yeah. I, I'm just trying to imagine myself being 25 and having a producer and trying to stand up to someone like that in the studio. Actually, um, I was 24. I wrote the song when I was 24, but 25 sang better. Right. Right. 24 years. This didn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> Still a great big hill, right? <laughs> I know I know some musicians hate it when they have a huge, huge hit like that, that everyone wants to hear them play forever. I, I imagine people still ask you to perform it. Do you hate that or are you okay with it? I don't perform, so it doesn't bother me. I mean, <laughs> okay. I'm not out there performing. I'm not touring. I'm not in a band. I'm not, you know. I do things once in a while, and so no, it doesn't bug me at all. It's a it's a wonderful song that I wrote, and I'm I'm very grateful to have a song like that to play. And we're grateful that that you created it. Of course, after your time with Four Non Blondes, you went on to produce and write for so many amazing women. In my introduction, I mentioned Christina Aguilera and Gwen Stefani and Pink. You've also worked with Adele and Alicia Keys and Courtney Love and so many other famous folks, as well as more up-and-coming artists who are getting noticed because you've taken them under your wing. I loved watching you on your 2014 show, Make or Break, and more recently with your protege, Willa Amai, who's just putting out music now. In your experience, what are your strategies for getting the best out of an artist emotionally, whether they're already a superstar or just starting out? Um... You know, I think it's really important for you have to build a trust, you know, when um, an artist comes in to the studio, it's my job to make them feel safe, um, make sure they feel heard, and um, that I'm not pushing my agenda. It, it is not my record. It's not my career. It's theirs. So for me, it's very important that I put on their hat, their, their clothes, and I give them something that's unique to them. I'm a chameleon. I can take on 
a lot of different characters and genres and you know I'm a, I'm just inspired by music and and all that we can do with it um, but one of the major things that I express to any artist that I work with that it's it's important to just dig a little deeper and um, I mean I don't give a big spiel like hey let's be really super raw and honest I just talk with them and then those those conversations break the artist down where they're feeling safe and um, emotional. And so when I see that happening, that's when I say it's time to write a song. Can you tell me anything or even everything about working with Dolly Parton? I know that you guys worked on the music for the film Dumplin' together and she's such an icon. Um, I, I would love to think that she's exactly who we all think that she is, but what can you tell us about working with her? Dolly is, you know, she is exactly who you probably think she is. She's one of the nicest, genuine people. Like, she's just lists people's spirit. Um, she's operating on a whole other frequency. Uh, she's a total powerhouse. Um, funny, nasty. <laughs> She's just really a, just a, a great energy to be around. She's really inspiring to talk to and just her way. Like she's just so like thoughtful, like everything she does, there's a purpose, there's an intention. It's just not random, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I mean that in the greatest way, like it's just, she's very thoughtful about how she presents herself, very thoughtful about the way she talks to people. Um, whether you're somebody who just dropped off some food to her or the president of, you know, Sony music, she treats you the same. Um, and she believes in giving people um, a chance and mm -hmm. letting other people shine. Like she doesn't believe that the world is just Dolly, you know, mm -hmm. like, she wants other people to she wants other people to benefit that are around her you know mm -hmm. so she's like you know i told her i said you know you're in here you're producing and telling everybody what to do and you never take credit for that she's like i gotta leave room for other people to shine too everybody can see dolly you know but i want to be able to make sure other people can shine as well Dolly Parton is one of the biggest, I mean, you, everybody knows Dolly Parton. Like she's huge. She's an icon. Like everybody, no matter if you're five years old, you see her going down the street, you're going to go, that was Dolly Parton. She's very recognizable, you know, and, um, and she's just has a huge career, but it never, you never, and she never, ever puts that energy out like I'm Dolly Parton mm -hmm. and she's so incredibly smart I mean what a business person my woman's doing things that people have no idea oh my god are you can you tell us any or are they secret well no I mean there's like things like you know I had no idea she owned Buffy the vampire slayer like she I didn't know that. she owns that <laughs> yeah she owns that whole brand everything 
this, I'd love to move on to this beautiful new song that you just recorded, the letter for Soleil Moonfry's documentary, Kid 90. It's on Hulu right now. Callie and I have both seen the movie. And um, as I mentioned before, this is the first time that you've written and recorded and performed, made a video for a new song in 15 years. Um, first of all, why did you stop making music for yourself? And what about this song made you start again? So where are you now? Where were you then? Do you belong? Have you found a true friend? And who you make love with along the way? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I didn't, it was not intentional. I'm, I'm scoring films, you know, so I felt like I needed to jump careers because that's just kind of what I do in my, my career. I'm always jumping around. I've been all over the music business. Um, and a passion of mine is scoring and, you know, and, and will lead to a musical at some point. But, you know, I love uh, film and TV. I love writing to things that are have a visual. So it was an easy segue for me to make. And as I scored uh, the film... I, uh, you know, with every film, you, you, you know, tendency is that you want to support your, the score, you want to support the film, so you want to release a song. And so there was this one song that Soleil, you know, really liked. It was a cue, and it, I put it underneath when she was reading her letter. You know, her 16-year-old self wrote adult Soleil a letter. Of course she did, you know, and I mean... <laughs> And it was such a moving and touching moment. And so I wrote this really beautiful cue underneath it. It was just, it just, it felt like it was the right support. And then she asked me, can you extend that, make it longer to a song? And I'm like, yeah, of course. I already had the bones of it. I was like, I, you know, yeah, of course. I edited it from, a, you know, a, a song. And so I just turned it into a song and, you know, there's, no time and there's nobody else who's I'm going to bring in to sing the song, you know, because it, although it was Soleil's story, it's so many stories, you know, so many people can relate to, you know, the growing up and, you know, I had friends, I was in, I had the same situations happening, not, but all my friends weren't like mega stars today, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I had a lot of situations where you just ups and downs of childhood, you know, and growing up and in this world and, um, and wondering, yeah, God, I wonder if, I wonder if that guy made it, like, did he make it? He was, he was so down back then. I wonder if he made it, you know? And the, you know, the beautiful thing that Soleil has is like, she has the actual it on friggin' camera. Mm-hmm. She has it on, yeah. she has a camcorder of these memories. And I'm struggling to remember what someone looked like back then. Right. She can go, oh, I have this footage. And it's brilliant, you know. So anyway, so I just wrote the song based on what I was hearing, what I was watching. Um, you know, and then it was like, oh, and then I just kept it really down. You know, I didn't do Linda Perry full on, you know, because I, you know, I have a huge voice. So I just kept it really mellow to match the vibe of what was happening. And then just kept it simple, put some strings on it. Um, Austin Hoke over at Nash- in Nashville, I asked him, can you lay some strings on here? He did and had my guy Kean um, mix it. And then Don Hardy, who directed the Citizen Pen 
documentary, called him up. I'm like, hey, I need to make a video. Can you help me out? And so he had the idea about putting the projection of the film around. And then I just, you know, did a couple of takes like that. And I just said, just stay on my face. You know, I'm not going to hide. But then, you know, I hid by putting this blue mask on my face, which I thought would make me feel more empowered. And it actually didn't. It actually made me even more vulnerable in the in the situation. And the video is great. Like, I'm actually really proud of it. I'm not. I'm not, I was, you know, it's not what I, I'm doing. I don't like the criticism. I don't like the judgment. I don't, I'm too, I'm too sensitive. I'm too, too sensitive to be an artist. And that's basically why I stopped being an artist. I just, it hurt too much to be one, you know? So, you know, it was, I put the song out and people are responding, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm not Miley Cyrus. I'm not, you know, Adele. It's, I'm not going to get those kind of numbers but I put a song out that I'm proud of and the video is great. I love the song and I loved hearing your voice in my ears again. I, I imagine I'm not the only one. You say that you've been getting feedback. I imagine that that must be somewhat emotional or, or at least affirming to hear people who really love your voice being happy and excited to hear it again. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I think the song got a good response and, I mean, it actually still is. And then I just released the score last week. It's called Kid 90, original score by Linda Perry. And that was released last Friday. So it'd be great if people go out and get that because it's really good. It's really like it's an interesting score because it almost sounds like a soundtrack, you know, because I'm doing so many, so much singing on it. And then there's the scores, the obvious scores, but there's a lot of me singing. And a lot of times like people is like, you know, like there's this one song, I think it's called Danny Boy. And, um, and I'm singing really deep, you know, really low and Soleil's all, oh my God, this song is great. Who's the guy? And I'm like, that's me. <laughs> She's like, oh my God. I go, I, I was planning on getting somebody. She's like, no, no, you have to keep it. I love it. You know? So, and then when she embraced me singing, cause I felt like the story was missing just a tiny bit narration and mm. I wanted to give it a little emotional push, you know, with some of the lyrical content. And so she was super supportive of that and was like, yes, keep doing it. You've written huge hits, hits that like will stand the test of time forever. I I wonder if it's ever hard writing hit after hit for other people to perform, or is it just a lot more comfortable? It sounds like you're saying that it's a lot more comfortable for you to be out of the spotlight and you rather make that sweet, sweet publishing money and let somebody else do it on stage. Are there complicated emotions about writing hits for other people to perform? Um, I don't, I, just so you know, I don't tend, I don't know about writing hits. I'm just writing songs and (laughs) hit and some don't, you know, like I have equally as many songs that are just great album tracks and I don't know what makes a hit. I don't know. I don't know that answer. I know a lot of people think they do, um, but I don't. I don't know. I'm just writing what feels best, and if it becomes a hit, great, yay me. If it doesn't, I'm still. <laughs> I'm still proud of the the work that I've done. My ego allowed me, thank you, to step away from the spotlight. Like if my ego was mm-hmm. healthy 
I would have fought and just, no, I'm going to stay here, even though it was hurting me. Mm. Do you understand? And I would be probably miserable by now and bitter. But because I allowed myself to be okay with stepping away from something that was super important to me. Don't get me wrong. Like being an artist was like, I mean, I love performing. Like the energy that you get from being an artist, like getting on stage and singing and, and delivering those emotions. And I'm great. Like I'm a great performer. I'm a great rock star. But something about that wasn't supposed to be my destiny, you know, and I had to just be okay. My ego had to let go. And I'm so thankful that I was that brave to step away because I love this business in and out, up and down, sideways, whatever it is, I've continued to keep reinventing myself in it. And how awesome is that? You know, I'm 56 and I'm just beginning, you know, and that is the truth. I am just beginning right now. You mentioned the other soundtrack that you've been working on is for the new Sean Penn documentary, Citizen Penn. That movie comes out May 6th on Discovery Plus, and it's about the humanitarian work Sean Penn has been doing in Haiti since an earthquake devastated that country in 2010. You scored that film. You wrote its original song, Eden, to find love with Bono from U2. What can you tell me about the project and working on the music, and how do you score something with the aim to uplift and to inspire activism? Um, well, that was not the intention. It was, I'm not, wasn't trying to inspire or, or make awareness to um, uh, activism. It was more um, about creating this body of work that supported the, the energy that was happening in Haiti while Sean Penn and CORE Um, group was out there. So here you have Haiti, you know, has this incredibly devastating earthquake. We're talking women, children buried under rubble, alive to die because there's no way out of there for them. So you have, you know, Haiti smelling like death everywhere you go. And the first responders was Sean Penn and core like there's this moment in the film where they're about to hop on a plane and Sean says anybody here that needs to know when we're coming back then you shouldn't go because when Sean went out there he went out there to stay until the job was done and you know here are these people just staying in tents with no electricity and you know working till three in the morning sleeping for a couple hours, getting up at five, finding food, finding shelter, building shelter, trying to find bodies, you know, dead or alive. It's super intense. But in the same breath, there was like this incredible optimism and hope and and beauty from the people. Um it's such a beautiful film for that. Like here's this incredibly devastating things that we'll never see. Maybe they might be coming to America soon. If we keep continue with where we're going, we will actually see it to be sad. Actually, that's true. That movie is coming. Um, So 
but so my job was to create this energy that was happening and was chaotic and it was mellow and it was sad and it was inspirational. So that's what I did. And the, the interesting thing about that film was I scored it, but it was all demos because what I was going to do after Don Hardy, the director signed off on the score, you know, I was then going to bring in Haitian singers, Haitian players, percussionists. And I was going to now take it to the next level. Then pandemic hit and then they needed it done. He needed it right Mm. away. And I was like, Oh shit. You know? And so everything in it is me, you know, me playing Mm. percussions, me, you know, singing, you know, chanting and no friggin' idea what I'm doing because I just left all this as place marks of like, this is the feel, but it was such a great feel. Um, you know, I played everything and, and, you know, and I do, I do play, I play everything on, on kid 92. Um, but it's like, I, I wasn't intending to be the person playing everything on this. I wanted to have that authentic Haitian, you know, stamp on it, but I didn't get to do that. And so these were actual demos that just had such a cool vibe that we, you know, Dawn was like, Hey, I'm okay with this. If you're okay with it. And I was like, okay, I guess I have no choice, you know, (laughs) and I had to have it done. So I'm really proud of that work because one, I had to reach outside of my norm, who I am. And I just connected, you know, emotionally to the film. And I feel like I delivered something that is worthy of the beautiful work that Don captured and how committed and invested emotionally Sean Penn was. You know, he definitely was my inspiration through the whole film. I noticed that you said that he was working with a group called Core Response. I know that Soleil Moon Fry also works for Core Response. And I believe that you recently also did a huge benefit for Core Response. Is that how you all know each other? No, um, that's the, my, my, my relationship with core is, so I do benefits. I do great benefits. I put on shows and, um, I had just finished this really great one for art of Elysium and it was just amazing. Raised so much money and the, but I mean, had cheap trick, uh, Foo Fighters, uh, Beck, um, uh, St. Vincent. I mean, it was amazing. L7. It was such a great show. And then on Christmas Eve, I got a call from core saying, Hey, we got your phone number. Um, we're in a jam. We need, you know, we heard you're like really great. They're a person to call and, um, wondering if you could help us out with our gala that's coming up. And I'm like, yeah, of course. What What do you need? Well, it's January 3rd. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Je- you, are you talking about like next week, January 3rd? You know, and he was started laughing. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, dude, oh, my God, I don't. And it's Christmas Eve, you know, oh, my <laughs> God, how the hell am I going to pull this off? You know, 
And so I don't know how I did it, but I got Billie Eilish. I got Macy Gray, Cat Stevens, and the show was incredible. And that was my introduction. So that day, and I think this is how I got the Citizen Pen. Sean and I met long time ago, but in no way are we friends or anything. We met long time ago, years ago. And um, so I'm on stage getting everything set up for the gala. And Sean is just pacing back and forth. And nobody goes near him. He's intense. He's an intense guy, you know, but a pussycat, a total little puppy, you know, a little dandelion, you know, like literally. So he's pacing back and forth, chain smoking. And he just has these, you know, wrinkles right here just from him, like constantly back and forth. (laughs) So I'm on stage watching this, you know, and I just jump off stage and I walk up to him and I just I grabbed his face (laughs) <laughs> I just held on to it. And I said, it's going to be okay. You know, and I don't know, but I feel, and it was a successful night, but I feel he trusted me. And I think that when Don Hardy, um, when they were thinking about music, I got into, because there's, it's a very small group. You don't just get into Sean Penn's group, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so somehow in the group and they came to me and I, he didn't even have to say anything. He said, Sean Penn documentary said, I'm in, I don't even know what you need, but I'm in, you know, I'm a big fan of Sean Penn. And, um, and so I just got it. And then Soleil is a friend of my wife's Sarah Gilbert. And, um, so they're good friends. She introduced me to my artist, Willa Amai, when Willa was 12. So that's our, that's how we met. We met because they wanted me, she needed someone to help her best friend, um, Willa's mom, Hillary. And they um, wanted to know if their daughter had some talent, you know? And so Soleil called me, you know, you're a goddess, you're an angel. Can you do me a favor? Oh my God. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like the sweetest person it would just be a miracle if you just come down here and just listen to her voice. And so I did. And then, you know, then, so then Willa has been, you know, this pain in my ass for like five years now. And (laughs) And she really does have a good voice. She's amazing. She's incredible. I just joke about it, but, um, but that's how slowly. So, so after I got the citizen pen, so, and, and I just want to say this right before citizen pen, I had put it out into the universe I need, I want to do film. I just want to do films. I just, I don't want to write songs for people anymore because I'm just discouraged. I'm disappointed in artists right now. I don't, I don't want to, I'm mad at the artists. I don't want to deal with you guys right now because you're not, you're not, you're not doing what you should be doing. You're not stepping up. You guys are selfish. You're all looking for money. It's, it's a money grab in the music business right now. And, and until people come back to the real intention of music, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, so I'm like, I need a new career. I need to go. I want to do, I'm going to go. I'm doing film now. I put that energy out there. I got the Citizen Pen. And then after I got Citizen Pen, Soleil hit me up to help her with Kid 90. Um, and it's been one thing after the next since then. That's awesome. Amazing. Tell me more about the real intention of music. When you say that, what is it that you're looking for that you want artists to return to? I just, I just want people to write some good songs. You know, I want them to stop you know, making decisions based on whether they're going to lose followers or gain followers. It's like, 
you know, the, the intention is not right. It's, there's brands, not bands. There's, you know, celebrities, <laughs> not real rock stars. And I'm, I'm just, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in people. You know, we are better than this. The music business deserves better than this. And, but it's everybody. It's, I wish I could point it to one person, but everybody is taking part in this. And, and it's like, I'm just, I'm not going to participate until people come back and Hey, doesn't mean people want to want me to write songs for them. Anyways, I'm an old, you know, woman that has been around a long time and, you know, yeah, maybe I'm not a sexy, you know, uh, person to, to call at this point, but I do know music. I do know how to write music. I know how to write great mm-hmm. songs. I know heart, I know intention, and I do know how to be a rock star, you know, and you do. Um, and I think that people are making decisions based on money, um, mm-hmm. popularity, afraid of not being relevant. Um, and I'm just watching the business just collapse and crumble. And I'm, I'm a little worried about it to be honest, you know, mm-hmm. saying, you know, you prefer, prefer, pre- preference, uh, prefer, what a fucking word there is. Oh, I'm going living off my big royalties. There ain't no big royalties. Let's mm. uh, just, I want to make things very, very clear. Okay. There's no big royalties in music right now. You have to, you know, let, I'll give you a good example. Okay. A million sounds great, right? Oh, I got yeah. a million streams. You know what a million streams is? Four thousand dollars. <gasps> really? Yeah. And you can get twenty now. If you're like Billie Eilish and you get twenty billion, you have to have twenty billion streams. Would it be? It's about seven million dollars. So twenty billion is at your top for one song, and one million is four thousand dollars. So wow. do you understand what I'm talking about? It's all or nothing. You're talking about it's all or nothing. Like you have to be up there. So that's why these people have to do what they're doing. And and Billy's great. Billy's doing amazing things. And and I think Harry Styles does really great stuff. And and I think Lana Del Rey does great things. And Adele, every time she shows up, she does great things. So don't get me wrong, there's really a lot of great people that are doing very artistic um you know, music and, but it's, it has to be more, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. so again, I love the music business and I, I believe that, man, if you write a song, how privileged and how awesome, what a great gift, uh, you know? And so maybe my, my bar is really high, you know, and maybe I just can't settle with this, this curb that we're at mm-hmm. where, you know, an ant looks like a giant, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I guess it's not even a curb. It's just like a little, you know, dip in the road. It's like, I feel like we got to get back up there. We got to get yeah. back up to really raising the bar higher mm-hmm. to save this business. Because right now there's no money. That's why you have to be a brand. That's why you have to sell that's why you have to be on TikTok and do all that stuff. But it's all just promoting everybody else. It's not really promoting yourself, you know. Um, right. So it's a very tricky business. And, and I, I love it. And, you know, I just I wish I had more hopeful things to say to artists that want to 
is a terrible business for um, breaking an artist from scratch because yeah. you don't got the numbers. Nobody cares. This is my last question for you. It's a question that we ask all of our guests and that is what you're watching. We want to know pop culturally. If you're watching movies, TV, listening to music, music videos, podcasts, if you're consuming it pop culturally, we want to know what it is because it's probably very, very cool. Linda Perry, what you watching? All right. Well, let me just tell you, I'm watching so many great shows right now. I, I, I'm going to, I just literally, I can't remember the complete name, so I'm going to tell you what it is right here. Um, I just sent it to my, my friend to watch. I'm Derek Del Guadio's um, In and of Itself. Oh, I saw that. It's on Hulu. And it is so great. I mean, you really have to be patient because it's slow, mm-hmm. but it's really beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful um, uh, show about this. He's a magician, but he's more than that. He's like this. Uh, it, I don't know how to explain it. You have to watch it. But um, that was great. And um, Queen's Gamut. Of course, you know, yeah, hands down. I'm Ted Lasso. I mean, I, I'm watching a lot of different things. And I, I do late night watching because I work all day. And sometimes I just like to unwind. And um, and oh, normal people, if you have not seen that, it is so beautiful. I mean, there's a lot of sex. That part's like, you know, I could do without, you know, not that sex is bad. Just meaning it's just a over abundance of it. But it's shot really beautiful the characters are beautiful there's some really amazing shows out there right now i'm super in i mean i'm i feel like i've chosen the right career path you know like i'm going in in that area and i'm really excited to get my hands on some really great work you know to to continue scoring amazing thank you so much for being on our show we Love your work. We appreciate your career so much. And it's been an honor speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate you taking the time. We're going to take the briefest of breaks. And then when we come back, I'm going to ask Callie. And Callie's going to ask me, what what you watching? watching? Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. (laughs) Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have We all have a docket. Sex? 
Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> scams. I'm Caitlin I'm Rodney Smith. <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German Russian heiress and she seems like she has a lot of money and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Amazing. So smart. I mean, so smart. I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. Hey, Pop-Tart listeners, have you been trying to record your own podcast, but you keep getting bogged down by technical problems? Luscious Logan can take the raw recordings of your show, edit and produce them to give them that rich, full-body sound that you hear right now. If you have a deep need to express yourself and sound good in the process, reach Luscious Logan LusciousLogan13 at gmail.com. That's LusciousLogan13 at gmail.com. If you want to have that luscious sound. And we're back. Hey, hey, hey. What's up, Callie? We just talked to Linda Perry. What a fucking legend. Legendary, legendary. How about them apples? How about those big hats? I know. Big hats for days. And now I want to know, and I need to know, I simply must know, Callie, what you watching? Well, let me just start out by saying, who let the dogs out? Who? 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 Who let the dogs out? Who? 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 So who? Who? Have I been watching um, this doc? I watched this talk on Amazon Prime called Who Let the Dogs Out about the origins of the song. And there's like an insane debate over who really wrote it and who should have credit. And it all started when the, the director of the, the doc, Brent Hodge, he found like an incorrect citation on the wiki page and got obsessed with the origins of the song and literally like traced it. You know, everybody thinks it's the Bahaman. Yeah. Everybody knows Bahaman. Uh-huh. But um, he went, like, literally all over the world, like, to London, all, all across the United States, way back to the fucking 50s. And all of these different people have different versions of the song that are basically the same, just, like, slight variations, um, like, tiny, tiny different words here and there, or with different woos or stuff, or different backbeats, but they're pretty much all the same. And all of them think that they came up with it, but they also, for the most part, admit that it could have just been an earworm that they heard at some point in their lives, and it stuck with them. And so it's like this whole debate over, like, everybody could have the same idea at different times and not steal them from somebody and just (laughs) not realize that they all have the same origin it was so fascinating it was a really great watch and um then i watched another doc called uh localish legends <laughs> when I, the it's a different person every time and this one was new york nico you know new york nico i don't but where where were you watching this 
this is on Hulu. Mm. And um, so Nico, he has like an Instagram where before pandemic, he would like go around the streets of New York and highlight like, you know, those crazy people you see all the time in New York, New York staples, like the green lady, uh, Paperboy Prince is on there. Um, just like those, that guy that's always in Union Square with the spandex pants on. Yeah. You know, with the beard. Yeah. So all of those people. And so that he, that's what he normally did. And then so during the pandemic, he did this thing called, it was like a contest, uh, the best New York accent challenge. And that got a lot of press. It was like in the New York Times or something. And so that really boosted his Insta. So during the um, pandemic, he was using his Insta fame to help save small businesses that he loved in New York. Like we can thank him for saving Punjabi, my favorite Indian restaurant. Hooray for Punjabi. Hooray for Punjabi. And the Punjabi guy is so sweet and loves Nico so much. They all call him, like all the store owners are like, oh, this is my son. This is my my favorite person, Nico. Everybody loves Nico. It was so, so sweet. And he also saved that military surplus store, Army and Navy bag. Um, and then the Astro Place Barbershop. Which is legendary. Legendary. All these quintessential New York spots. And he talk, goes and talks to all the owners about how the Instagram helped their like uh, GoFundMes and stuff. And then he also, there's a part where he's hanging out with Tiger Hood, who is this New York street golfer. And um, <laughs> Tiger Hood, that name makes me laugh. Tiger Hood. It's so good. And so he like became a street golfer because he found a golf club in the trash and was like, all right, let me hit this. And then he made golf balls out of like milk cartons stuffed with pl- plastic bags taped up really tight. And then he just like put, plays golf in alleys and Obama golfed with him. Well, no, not Obama. Oh my God. I wish it was Obama. Um, who was golfing with him? It was a uh, fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, Will Smith. And Paperboy Prince was there too. It, it, another, it was just like a feel good, great dot. And then a not feel good was um, because you know, what's going to happen was the Selena show on HBO max. And mm. It was, you know, you just fall in love with Selena all over again. And then you know that she gets killed by her crazy ass, like um, uh, the leader of her, the head of her fan club that stole all her money. So, so it's rude. like, you, that's the worst so fan club management I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> ever. And it's just like, you just feel so bad that she just got played like that and tr- she was so trusting. But then there's this really, really cute part where a young Beyonce sees her and like gushes about how great a singer she is. And Beyonce said that really happened. Yeah. So cute. And then, um, I watched this thing called, um, it's an animated movie called the Mitchells versus the machines and the machines. And it has so many busty voices in it. It's got Abby Jacobs, Maya Rudolph, Olivia Coleman, Eric Andre. And it's like this, you know, I'm not a really big cartoon movie person, but it's like a, a teen who's sort of an outsider and really into um, making these short films I mean, it's an animated movie, so I don't know if the films she's making are animated. <laughs> but they're like, <laughs> one, you know, like one if she's making documentaries, I can't tell. But one is like a cop dog. It's hilarious with the, her dog in it. Um, and so she gets into film school and her family decides to take her on a road trip across country. And this is the exact day that the machines take over the world. <laughs> and 
What a day. It's it's cute and all. But the best part is it about it is that it's the first time in all ages American animated movie has had an openly queer character. Yay. Which is groundbreaking. But even more that I love about it is it's it's like low-key that she's queer. It's not like the main plot point. Like it's just there. It's just not even very addressed. It's just alluded to until the end. And so it's like, you know, like every straight movie isn't all about how somebody's straight. So I like that it's just there existing and I love it. Nice. And then this movie that I'm going to talk about now, absolutely motherfucking blew my mind. It's called Nobody and it has Bob Odenkirk. He stars in it. And Bob Odenkirk has really come a long way acting wise since the days of Mr. Show. Yes. Where did you watch this movie? This was on, oh man, I d- didn't write it down, but I I want to say it's on Netflix. Okay. It's Netflix it's or, called or Amazon. Nobody. Nobody. Okay. Yeah. It's either Netflix or Amazon, I think. And the fight scenes are so fucking amazing. Whoever did the fight choreography needs all the awards. Um, Bob Odenkirk is such a fucking badass in this. And the guy from Back to the Future, the old man, he's in it. Christopher also Lloyd. Also badass. Christopher Lloyd. Old and bad as fuck. And, I mean, they're, like, the good guys, but they're, like, I mean, the way – they're, like, shooting people from behind their back. It's amazing. And Riz is also in it. Also a badass. It and And the music to it is really good. Like, to the fight scenes, the music is, like – not very serious. <laughs> it's all <laughs> great. So much fucking blood. So much fucking blood. I want to watch the whole thing again just so I can catch all the kills. Nice. It was amazing. I can't say how uh, enough about how much I loved it. So what have you been watching, boo? Thank you so much for asking. One of my favorite um, comedy shows, Black Lady Sketch Show, is back on HBO. I'm so happy that it's back because um, its second season was delayed due to COVID, but it finally premiered April 23rd, and they're releasing an episode a week. And it's it was created by Robin Thede. It stars Robin Thede. She has an amazing ensemble of women with her, Ashley Nicole Black, Gabrielle Dennis, Lacey Mosley, Sky Townsend. It's so good. Um, and there are so many incredibly weird wigs. <laughs> <laughs> Robin Thede is not afraid to look a scandalo in this show, and it's really funny. She's so funny. I love that. Um, and another show that's back, and I'm very happy that it's back, is Handmaid's Tale. Season four has arrived on Hulu. And Callie, you told me that you started watching. I have started watching. It's a very slow creep for me. I'm rewatching season one. I think I had originally made it halfway through season two. So oh. I'm towards the end of season one now, but it's a slow creep because it's so heavy and very slow and it's it's a lot. So then after I watch an episode, I have to clear my palate with Malcolm in the middle. <laughs> it's going to take me a while to catch up. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's fine. If you need a little Malcolm in the middle to, you know, to get you through, as long as you keep watching because it's so good. <laughs> I gotta clear that rape to away. To watch the rape the away. Rape cog, yeah. <laughs> was, I'm gonna start calling going. Malcolm in the Middle "Rape Away" because <laughs> that's how you're using it. Use only as directed. <laughs> yes. Rape away. 
Did you just hear that, that sound? Was that a tambourine? Was that a tambourine? That was my very unhelpful cat Velma knocking a tambourine out of Logan's closet during the podcast. How dare you, Velma? She needs to change. She's just she just wants to be involved. Yeah. She can't keep the music inside. She has to let it out. So yes, I'm definitely watching Handmaid's Tale season four. I'm here for it. Um, Elizabeth Moss has actually directed, I think, two or three episodes this season, and it's pretty cool. Um, and then the last thing I've been watching is um, Logan brought this Ukrainian rapper to my attention. He pulled up a bunch of her videos on Ooh. YouTube. Her name is Aliona Aliona, and she's a Ukrainian rapper. She raps all in Ukrainian. And she put out an album called Pushka in 2019. And apparently it made her the biggest rap star in the Ukraine. She just became like a total music sensation in her home country. And then there was an article called 15 European Pop Acts Who Matter Right Now in the New York Times. And they compared Aliona Aliona to Azalea Banks. Um, Her flow is incredibly tight and acrobatic and amazing i assume they mean that in a in a positive way because you know (laughs) i could go either way of comparing someone to azalea banks as far as i know (laughs) she hasn't been kicked out of any barbecue restaurants lately (laughs) no bloody closets yeah but she was a kindergarten teacher for four years before her rap career took off so that's that's a cute fun fact about her um The reason that Luscious Logan brought Aliona Aliona to my attention, besides the fact that she's an amazing rapper, is that she looks a lot like me. She's like a round Russian looking dumpling like me. And um, she is head to toe, just swagadelic in Adidas. And she like owns the stage and she's full of confidence. And that's not anything that I ever see in pop culture, especially not in rap. I can't remember a single time of ever seeing a rapper looking like me, or if if I have, then it's been few and far between. Um, she she has a lot of videos that I love. In her video for Heads, she spends the whole video running while rapping in Adidas, and there's like a nice. truck with a camera on it in front of her, and she's just running and rapping the whole time. And I'm like, do it. And then she has a video called Shalom where there's all this really good clip art animation. And then this other video I really like is called Rayon and she wears like so many different Rayon tracksuits. It's so cute. And she's hanging out on the streets of Ukraine with a bunch of cool kids. And that video features another rapper called Fat Belly, who I also like. And she's just my new obsession. I love Aliona Aliona. I love this. I think I will love Alone. How do you say your name again? Aliona, Aliona. Aliona, Aliona. I like you. (laughs) And the last thing I've been watching, of course, is the Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page, which has just made its debut in the world. Uh, We really need your help to keep Bust alive, and hopefully you'll be excited by all the goodies we've hooked up for Pop-Tarts listeners at patreon.com slash Podcast. Callie and I, with help from Team Bust, have been typing up show notes exclusively for Patreon donors that include links to what everybody has been watching for all 107 episodes. 
We've got totally ad-free episodes. There's exclusive content on there, like our amazing interview with Big Frida and so much more. Please check it out at patreon.com slash Podcast. And finally, I would like to give a big thank you to our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente, Logan. And of course, our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rams and on Instagram at Rams Emily, but you can't find Callie, so don't even try, right? No, 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 no. But you can email both of us. I'm at Emily Rams at Bust.com. I'm at Callie W at Bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at Bust.com slash Pop Tarts. And finally, Please, if you have a moment, just, you know, give us give us a little love and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Logan, are you stoned yet? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yesterday was the 29th anniversary of the last episode of Golden Girls airing on, on broadcast television. <laughs> so I watched the final scene of it again, and I was like, oh, be Arthur. She kept saying goodbye, and then they were standing there crying, watching the door after she left. And then she kept coming back in again, like three different times to hug them. <laughs> Logan, are you stoned yet?